When we think about our ancestors, your genes are actually 200,000 years old. So when you think about grandma and grandpa, that's not where things started. And since then, there really hasn't been much change. Our brain developed the way it is. We developed the ability to speak in complex language, to sing and all these things. 200,000 years ago to today, the reality of industrialization, of chemicals, pollution, food, which has really happened in the last, what, 100 years? If you were in Western Europe, maybe 200 years? Versus 200,000 years of exposure to plucking things out of the ground and eating them, killing an animal and eating it on the day of a shot. Pure, clean living. All of that stuff that we now experience. We have not caught up genetically to, with the ability to deal with all of that. We are still wired like people of 200,000 years ago. So imagine how long that evolution is going to take. This is why so many people are sick. Did you know that your current diet, lifestyle, and environmental choices could be increasing your chances of health problems based on your own unique DNA? Yes, in order for us to fully transcend our own unique programming, we must first start by understanding that and in today's episode, guys, we're gonna take a deep dive into understanding your unique DNA and how that can set you up for success in life, success in recovery, success in full optimization with one of the world's leading experts on understanding our own DNA. Before we jump into that, guys, real quickly, let me remind you who we are and what we do here. My name is Frank Rich, host of The Superman Life, and this is the only podcast in the world that is dedicating to helping men level up in the five key areas of life. We're talking about your faith, your fitness, your finance, family, freedom. And we do that by bringing on some of the world's leading experts in those areas to unpack the work that they've been doing and share it with you, leaving you with actionable tips and strategies that you can walk away with each and every episode. And yes, in today's podcast, we have one of the world's leading experts on our own unique DNA and founder of the DNA company. Yes, I'm talking about none other than Kashif Khan. Kashif Khan is an entrepreneur and investor who has built, run, and scaled multiple businesses across a wide range of industries. He's the co-founder and chief executive officer at the DNA Company, where they take an innovative approach to providing functional genomic solutions for personalized and preventative health and wellness. And in this episode, I open up by asking Kashif, what separates what the work that they're doing at the DNA Company from all the other DNA or gene companies out there. And his insights into this are quite revealing. We then unpack a little bit about why we need to understand this and how having our own unique DNA profile from the beginning can help us avoid a lot of mistakes people make. Does a ketogenic make sense for you? Does training with weight make sense for you? How much sleep do you actually need? Do you have the addict brain? That was that was something that we spent a lot of time on was how is our gene for addiction the same gene for entrepreneurship, the, gene, the same gene for high performance? If you guys remember about 12 episodes back, maybe, maybe 16 episodes when we had on the founder of Newtopia, we talked about, I believe high performers or I believe addicts are high performers that have not yet unlocked that. And Kashif confirms that for me here today. We then give you uh, an insight into how you can use DNA company and Kashif's uh, AI that they formed to set yourself up for success. And we've given you a promo code. So if you go to the dnacompany.com slash sh50, that's the dnacompany.com slash sh50, you can actually save $50 off of their DNA testing kit, which is something I'm looking forward to doing. I think we may have Kashif back on to do a full review analysis of my DNA. But guys, check it out. This is a jam-packed episode, a lot of new insights, a lot of new materials, things that I've never learned, things that I've never talked about before in this episode. I hope you guys get so much value out of it. Without further ado, let's get into today's conversation with the co-founder and chief executive officer of the DNA company, Kashif Khan. Hope you guys enjoy. Kashif, welcome to The Superhuman Life. Pleasure, man. Good to be here. Yeah, really excited to uh, to have you here today as well. Um, one of your investors uh, at the DNA company, Dave Asprey, is a friend of the show. We had Dave on about a year, year and a half ago. Still to this day, it's been one of our most downloaded episodes. 
Um, I'd love to start off today with you maybe sharing the story of how you chased Dave down and how you <laughs> got him on board with the work that you're doing over there at the, uh, yeah, the sure. company. So we knew that um, in order to get out there and do what we do, first of all, we're going to hear about this as we talk today. We think about the human genome a lot differently than what's typically out there. And so we realized that we needed the thought leaders to see it because nobody believed what we did was possible. And so whenever we went around anywhere saying we do genetic testing and researching, everybody thought we do what everybody else does. And so it's like more of the same. So I realized I need somebody like Dave or Ben Greenfield or somebody to start talking about this stuff. So I looked at Dave's schedule, what events he's going to be speaking at. And I went to one of the events and I couldn't reach him. So I went to another one. And then I just followed him for like 45 minutes. He's like, what do you want? I said, I want you to spit in this tube. He's like, who are you and why? I said, because I'm going to show you that I know about more about DNA than you know. And he kind of looked at me and he, he continued to ignore me. I just kept following him. Following. And finally, he's like, just give me that thing. And he spat in it, went live on Instagram, said, I'm going to figure out what this is all about. Let's see. So we did go through it. And when he saw how we think about DNA, he's like, this is incredible. I got to work with you guys. And he literally became an investor and helped us get to where we are. Yeah, that's credible. And, and Dave is such a unique individual, unique thinker. I mean, he's brought so much um, to the world with, with everything that he's doing. So I'd love to dive into, you know, what it is about you guys that is different, you know, so talk about, you know, what the other DNA companies out there have been doing and then what makes your organization and your approach different than everybody else. So genetics, what we do is called functional genomics. So genetics is kind of like medicine, right? It's all of disease centric and about masking illness and symptoms. Functional genomics is like functional medicine. Why did you get sick? You have migraines, you have Lyme disease. Why is it three people with Lyme disease have three different outcomes? It's the same bacteria, right? So the genetics of not uh, a switch that you turn on or off. So genetic output up until what we researched used to be either hardcore disease diagnostics, like you have a rare cancer, that's genetics. And that's a two or 3% slice of healthcare, right? Mm -hmm. Then there was the more infotainment style, you know, your ears connected to your head, you grow hair on your back or just the left side of, you know, your chest or some weird stuff like this that you already kind of know by looking in a mirror. So genetic traits and ancestry, the gap in the middle, the big problem, 90% of our healthcare budget is chronic disease and people wanting to slow down aging live optimally with health, not masking illness. So that required taking what was already known genetically, you have an 80% chance of Alzheimer's, then asking why did 20% with the exact same genetic profile not get it, right? If it's so certain, if this is my human instruction manual that tells my 50 trillion cells what to do all day long, why did 20% not get the disease? Because their environment, nutrition, and lifestyle choices were different they were aligned to their genetic legacy. And that's the thing that we did was we studied 7,000 people one by one by one over a period of three years to understand of the 80% and the 20%, how were their habits different so that we could teach the good habits to the bad and also take the bad habits away from the people that are doing them. And some of them are obvious, but most I would say are counterintuitive and this research really was needed. Yeah, I love I love the way that you you phrase that too. It's like if this is the instruction manual, like that's a great place to start, right? I love the quote, in order to transcend your programming, you must first understand it. We must understand what our programming is. But then how are we utilizing that instruction manual? And that's what it seems like you guys have kind of taken it the next step. It's like, okay, here's the operating system. Here's how to do it from your environment, from your nutrition, from your training, from your sleep. Am I kind of understanding this the right way? Yeah, exactly. Like you mentioned training. There's an obvious one. We can start there which is, okay, I want to live longer. I'm going to start going to the gym and I'm going to start, start running on the treadmill. Mm -hmm. So for some people, great. For some people, that's the reason they will get sick. And this is one of those counterintuitive buckets I'm talking about that you wouldn't think that me running on a treadmill, for me, based on my genes, and by the way, this is actually true for me, uh, would be the reason I would get cardiovascular disease. So why is that true? When you get into cardiovascular activity, you get into what's called oxidative stress. You're taking in a lot more oxygen. You're breathing heavy. You have all these, like I said, trillions of cells in your body that are constantly taking in nutrition and oxygen to create energy. That's how your body makes energy, the ATP, the powerhouse of the cell. In that process of converting oxygen to energy, you create an oxidant. And an oxidant is a free radical that's toxic, right? What you're supposed to do, there's a gene called SOD2 that's supposed to clear that out from the cell, like just remove it and put it onto, into the blood, 
for you to then, you know, your liver detoxifies and expels it out completely. Some of us don't do that well. In fact, I would say more people don't do that well than actually are efficient there. So now if I go run on a treadmill every day, taking in that heavy load of oxygen, over oxidating myself, that leads to this kind of suffocating or choking of the cell, which causes it to age faster, which causes the DNA to unravel faster, which causes inflammation. And if I have bad uh, arterial cells, like the, the arteries around the heart, which we can predict genetically what quality of hardware you have, then if I get inflammation here in my arteries, my body's actually gonna use cholesterol as a hormone to reduce the inflammation. And then you get the beginnings of what we call cholesterolemia and you start taking a pill called Lipitor to reduce the cholesterol numbers because you're only dealing with what you can measure in your blood as opposed to asking why did it happen to begin with. So the person, and this is an actual case. We have a guy who, because of his tennis, he was on cholesterol pills and he just ended up playing more tennis. He said, I need to exercise harder. That was the thing that got him there because as a pro, you train way more than an average person. And he just pushed himself way over the edge without the genetic capacity to do that thing well. He got sick. Yeah. And it's just like, it's just like putting Band-Aid on Band-Aid on Band-Aid on Band-Aid and never actually getting to the actual wound and healing it from the inside out. I guess, how do you prevent people here though? I'm, I'm already thinking like, this seems like it can be like an endless bottomless pit. No, with just the consumption. So what's the balance here, right? Of like, I need to understand the programming. I need to understand these variables and how they play. How do I not get sucked into this hole where I'm just constantly looking for more and more? Because I'm sure if you go deep enough, you'll be able to keep going, correct? Yeah, so that that was challenging for us because there's, there's 22,000. Well, now the newest science is saying 30,000 genes in the human genome. We only look at about 100 of them. And so when you go out there and you look at, you know, ads online for DNA tests, we're going to test your entire genome and sequence everything into how much did they change your life? Data is dumb unless you know what question to ask. A, a stack of paper with a bunch of digits on it, right? So what use is it for me to sequence my entire human genome when there's nothing I can do about the majority of it? And the majority of it doesn't impact my health, right? So what we figured is where do we start and what core systems do we focus on that point to all the problems? And we didn't know what that was going to be. We, this is why we went into that research of studying these 7,000 people. And it landed on this. Hormones. We, we mapped the hormone cascade to certainty. Where I, If I have your DNA, I already know your body type. I know what your hair looks like. I know what your skin looks like. I know how easily you put on muscle, burn fat, uh, if you have cellulite or not. It's, it's all genetically driven by your hormones. I know if you have female hormone issues like infertility, if you have a libido issue as a man, uh, all this stuff, right? The second one was your detox pathways. We all agree that disease is rooted in inflammation. When the cells are stressed, that's the very first step to illness. What is inflammation rooted in? It's the toxic insults that we're breathing and eating that were never meant to be in our bloodstream in the first place because we live in a reality that we're not genetically designed for, what we, you know, the genes we inherited from our ancestors. Uh, and so that's the second big area that we mapped it out in full. And it's not this gene means this, this gene means this. Here's the system. Here's the flow. And here's the genes that instruct each step. It's like this baton pass from step to step to step, right? The third one was diet nutrition. We understood that if we don't know what you do with carbs and fats and your metabolic rates and how you deal with insulin, um, even the, the brain part about how you think about food as a coping mechanism or emotional, then you can't, you know, these, there's, these are all hand in hand. And the other big one that we did that, most don't look at is mood and behavior, meaning here's all the neurochemicals of your brain, which are meant to drive certain things, pleasure, stress, you know, sleep, all this stuff. Here's what level you have. Here's how you bind it. Here's how you clear it. So we can start to map out exactly how you behave and think and perceive the world around you. Now, if you put these together, these are the core systems. Here's how I think. So here's how I'm going to behave. Here's how my body deals with inflammation and fighting disease. Here's how I deal with food intake. And here's how I deal with my hormone production. The only couple of things left are cardiovascular activity and mapping out things, like I said, like your hardware, et cetera. Uh, and then sleep. We also look at your body's ability to sleep properly. If you understand all of this and you do this stuff right, it's very, very hard to get a chronic disease. Not only that, you're probably gonna age a lot slower. 
Not only that, you're probably all going to have optimal energy, best sleep, best libido, best mental health state, right? If you do all of, if you pull these levers properly and we realize the other stuff, it's so tiny in its incremental value, unless you have a genetic condition, you're born with sickle cell syndrome, you have a genetic problem, there's a switch turn on, you have it. That's again, tiny fraction. The majority is in this bucket of things you can actually change. That's why we focus there. Now, how much of this changes over over time? Like, like, are your genes your genes from day one or do certain factors, exposure, sickness, illness, growing muscle, like does this change it? Or if you looked at somebody when they were an infant and then you looked at the same genes when they were in their you know middle age, would you get the same information back? So there's two answers to that. One is your genes don't change. You're born with your genes. They are literally instruction manuals that are telling your cells what to do. Different cells in your body know what section of the manual to read. So the heart reads the heart section, the kidney reads, and that's why they do the job that they do. Right there, we don't know yet how that happens, but that's what's going on. The the difference is epigenetics, meaning there's certain genes where you can affect their expression. So as an example, if I have the bad version or the slow version, I should say, of a gene that converts my progesterone into testosterone, as a man, I might have low testosterone, which means less strength, less libido, uh, less sort of vitality. Right, a lot of things that testosterone gives you. And so we know there's certain foods or there's certain, instead of me going and taking more testosterone, which has other problems, it could lead to prostate enlargement, hair loss, if I convert into like other byproducts that are toxic, I could just use more of the innate testosterone that I make by slowing down the clearance, by converting more progesterone into testosterone, you know, and, and there's, there's supplements, there's foods, there's exercises that will do that. Simple example. In order to use your testosterone, you have to bind it. And there's a gene that determines how many, what the density of your testosterone uh, binding is. So those actual receptors that bind it. And some people, you know, they hardly try and they get ripped, right? They may just bind testosterone a lot more efficiently. And so it's a lot easier for them to get the benefits of their training. One thing that affects the epigenetics of that, if you don't have the good version, is stretching. When you stretch... It activates that gene and causes you to bind more testosterone, even if you have the bad version of the gene. So that's an example of, I have this gene. I don't bind testosterone well. I can predict that by doing a genetic test and understanding. Here's the thing. If I want to affect some change and bind more so it's, I get a better outcome, I need to stretch before my exercise and stretch the big muscles like my legs, my glutes. That's what activates it, right? So the, And there's many nuances like that. And we... The challenge is how do you deal with all this stuff? So we, we, we put it into the reports in a way where it's easy to digest by problem, anxiety, depression, keto diet, et cetera. Let's, let's look up the things we understand, pick the problem I want to solve, and then now I know what to do about it. Now, are most people coming to you because there's problems that are trying to get solved? I think I know the answer here. Like this is obviously made for everybody. And the sooner you get some of this information, the better you're going to be able to set up an optimized life. But are most people coming with specific problems or are these the biohackers that are looking for this information to kind of turn that last notch and take everything to the next level? Yeah, there's been a bit of an evolution. So the beginning of when we were doing our research, first of all, it was very expensive. Right, the, the same test, which is a few hundred dollars now, used to be thousands. Right, so at that time, we were dealing with you know Fortune 100 CEOs. We were dealing with professional athletes like NBA, NHL, uh, U.S. Olympic team, uh, and celebrities. That's who we dealt with. And and the amazing thing there is they already had the best. They had the best doctors, the best trainers, the best diet, the best everything. So we had to figure out how do we take someone that has the best but still isn't getting the outcome they want, and we would figure it out using a genes. We then transitioned from there to the biohacking community because we started to build the algorithms and scale up the testing so that it became a little less pricey, right? Uh, and working with people, again, that are doing kind of everything right, but they're doing everything right based on what they heard from somebody else. They don't know if that's the right thing for them, right? Go do the keto diet. Go do There's, there's genes that predict how well you metabolize fast. And if you don't do that well, yeah, you're going to feel great in the first month. Everybody does because you're getting to ketosis and the ketones hit your brain. You feel amazing. But if you don't metabolize fats well, you're not going to have a longitudinal positive effect. It's going to start to feel pretty bad, and you're not going to know why. Same thing with being a vegan. The genes that produce the enzymes to break down chickpeas, lentils, legumes, kale, if you don't do that well, which, by the way, most of us don't, you're not going to do well as a vegan. You're going to get sick. 
right? So, um, so anyways, that's where we worked with the biohacker community. And then we finally got the technology strong enough and the price down low enough where now everybody can sort of benefit from this, regardless if you're sick and there's a problem like, I have a crazy menopause issue, you know, that I just can't fix. Why me? Why me? Why me? Or my dad had prostate cancer. I don't want it. You know, what can I do to prevent that? I think we're getting a lot more of that now, you know, that the research is sort of out there. Uh, and just general, like, health optimization. I want to be the best version of, my, of myself today. That requires me making choices every day. I need to know what the right choices are for me. Yeah, I love that. And I, I, I doubt this is something that you guys are talking about in your executive meetings, but I hope this thing blows up for you and you just solve all the online arguments because you go into a vegan circle, it's like, vegan's the best. Well, no, it may be the best for some of you, but if I got this DNA, then you can't have an argument with me about it. So just kind, yeah. of, a, kind, of, kind of a side comment there as well. Can you walk people kind of through, you know, what the process would be like? You know, obviously we want to, we, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll put the information for your company down there, but if they're interested in kind of getting, you know, getting a test done, getting a report, take them through that kind of A to Z process of what it looks like, how it's reviewed, how it's analyzed, the information that's sent to them, and then what those next steps would be. I, per just so you know, like, like the, the, this product, is designed largely around my negative experience. So I was I was sick, right? I, I had a lot of issues. I didn't come from this industry. I came from the PR world. I used to help startup companies grow. That's what I really enjoyed doing from zero to some level of success, then they move on. Um, and I was really sick. I had eczema, psoriasis, migraines, gut issues. You know, I was a lot heavier, was not in the shape that I'm in. Uh, and so, I needed to use genetics to figure out why, because that's the one answer that no doctor would give me. Yeah, it's a pill for this, a scan for this, but why, why, why? Oh, sorry, we don't do that here. You know, we can mask whatever you're, the, the check mark of success is whatever you're complaining about disappears. But why did it happen if it may come back and express some other way? That's not our concern. So I, I then dove into genetics to figure out why myself with the help of a friend who was a functional medicine doctor. And I started to see that it was really hard to use. <laughs> unless you were a PhD geneticist, it was not designed for you to use, uh, or you were buying like an ancestry type test, which was like entertainment. So that became my mission. How do I make something where somebody who has zero knowledge, including the doctors, by the way, there's very few doctor's offices you can walk into where they use genetic testing because it's too hard to use. They don't have training and they don't have time to get trained. So for both, both the consumer and, and the clinicians themselves, I had to figure out how to make this easy. So first step to making it easy is nobody cares what genes they have. They care what problems they have, right? You have the AA version of DRD2. Does that matter to you, right? But if I tell you that that means your propensity towards addiction, depression, or by the same gene, entrepreneurialism, and we can explain why, right? Ending on your context. Um, then all of a sudden it starts to be like, this is this this means something to me. How is this actionable? So we did this by in those 7,000 people that we studied, documented every single insight that every single one of our scientists had and built this AI. So the artificial intelligence platform now populates reports based on problems that we already understand. So what I said earlier, when you go to the brain section, it talks about, it doesn't talk about the DRD2 gene. You, it's there for if you want to know, but it talks about anxiety, procrastination, burnout, depression, addiction, uh, logical behavior, empathetic behavior, the things that you need to know, well, why do you do the things you do? If you go to the diet report section, it doesn't talk about the AMY gene and, you know, which is a starch. It talks about starch and fats and insulin and behavioral genomics, your brain and how that drives the way you eat, uh, vegan, keto, all that stuff, right? So that was step one. Step two was, it's great to know what's wrong, but if you aren't also telling me how to fix it, all you've done is given me anxiety, right? This gene means you have an 80% chance of breast cancer. Good luck. <laughs> That's kind of what genetics was when I sort of first went in, right? So we built the reports in a way where recommendations are tied to the problems at the genetic level. So the same thing I was talking about where gene expressing can solve the problem. Then the third layer, which again, I learned, and this is the last of three, I learned from my own personal journey was you can learn what's wrong. You can learn what's needed, whether it's a supplement or a food or an exercise, but without a coach or somebody pushing you along, it's hard to do. Like we're all busy. We forget. And so we hired Dr. BJ Fogg. This guy's amazing. So he wrote the book, Tiny Habits, New York Times bestseller. 
He runs the Stanford University Behavioral Change Lab. So he's a guru when it comes to implementing behavior change. We, we said, here's all the reports. Now you get people to actually do it. So in there, there's these sections of here's behaviors to avoid. Here's behaviors to adopt. Here's things you might want to consider adding to your daily routine. And it just becomes very easy to implement. Like when you read it, it's almost like I knew that already. That's how easy it actually needs to be for us to get it done. So we built it in a very different way. And, you know, uh, I understand whenever a geneticist said to me that that's not possible, that's the thing that I tried to do because I realized that's what nobody's doing and what we actually need to fix. Love that. Love that. And, and, and simplifying it to, you know, third grade level, like that's the work that I'm in, right? Behavior change. Like we help people out of addiction. And it's like the more simplified we can make these steps that they must follow. Same thing with training, same thing with transforming somebody's body. Like it just needs to be simplified to the basic. And oftentimes you get that same response back. I knew I was supposed to be doing this. I, I, I hear this all week long on, on, on my coaching calls. I'm curious, cause you talked about kind of the core four, you know, you had the hormones, detox, diet, nutrition, mood and behavior. Then there was sleep training on the recovery side. So the fixing, do they oftentimes fall into a set buckets? Like how are we solving the problems? Yeah. Recovery is another big one. So because we're in Toronto, we work with a lot of NHL players and one of the biggest areas we've been able to support them is in recovery. You know, there's guys that say that, why is it when we go out drinking that after the game, like I can't train the next day and these guys have no problem. Or why is it I can't train as often as the rest of the team? I feel like I'm falling behind. So there's a couple of things going on there. One is what I talked about with oxidative stress and uh, the SOD2 pathway, which deals with oxidation and cellular recovery. That's a big one. So it's mitochondrial resilience. How well does your mitochondria fight back against all the stress you're putting it through? It needs stress and you have to trigger stress in order to become stronger. But some of us can't take the load and recover fast enough. Then there's what we call the glutathione pathway. So once the toxins are put out into the blood, your cells get rid of them, something needs to carry it to the liver and tell the liver to get rid of it. That's your glutathione pathway. And this is true for oxidation. It's true for heavy metals, for chemicals that you breathe every day, for the pesticides in your lawn that make it look so pretty. When you go golfing for four hours and you're breathing in all those pesticides, you don't even realize, right? So um, a lot of people are off there, a lot of people way more than you would think. And you have to understand that our genes, when we think about our ancestors and we think about, I'm like that person, your genes are actually 200,000 years old. So when you think about grandma and grandpa, that's not where things started. Whatever you can touch and experience is kind of what your limitation of our thoughts usually are. But our DNA, we became who we are about 200 to 250,000 years ago in that window. And since then, there really hasn't been much change. Our brain developed the way it is. We developed the ability to speak in complex language, to sing and all these things. Uh, We became who we are and we have not changed since then. Now, if you think about 200,000 years ago to today, the reality of industrialization, of chemicals, pollution, food, which has really happened in the last, what, 100 years? If you were in Western Europe, maybe 200 years, right? Versus 200,000 years of exposure to plucking things out of the ground and eating them, killing an animal and eating it on the day of a shot, right? Or just salting it and drying it, like pure, clean living. There was no pollution. There was no chemicals. uh, There was no plastic. There was no hormone disruptors. All of that stuff that we now experience. We have not caught up genetically with the ability to deal with all of that. We are still wired like people of 200,000 years ago. So imagine how long that evolution is going to take mm-hmm. before we can actually cope with that. And this is why so many people are sick. You know, there's there's animals that you can put them in hydraulic acid and they survive because they are genetically designed for it. Right. So when you're designed, when you're designed, when you have the coping mechanism, when you have the cells being driven by the right instructions to deal with it, great. We aren't. So this is another huge part of recovery is not understanding environmental health chemical exposures, uh, food exposures. There's a gene called GSTM1, which determines how well you detoxify in your gut. So when you eat whatever, it usually comes along with some kind of toxins, whether it's a food coloring, pesticide, a drying chemical to so that can be stored for longer. Um, Only, I I think it's seven or 8% of us do that well. 49% of us, this is according to our internal data, 
49% of us don't even have the gene. It's something called a copy number variation. So it's not like a, a mutation or a variation, like what version of the gene do you have? We don't even have it because toxicity coming in through our food was such a rare blip type occurrence in the last 200,000 years. Why would that have happened? Unless there was some random chemical spillage to the ground or whatever, you know, something seeping from a volcano, who knows what happened, right? But the reality of today, 49% of us don't even have the gene. Another 40% plus only have one copy, only came from mom or dad. So it's a unique phenomenon called a copy number variation, which only happens in a very few genes where you don't even have the gene. You don't have the instruction at all. So your gut is like a completely exposed, you know, cellular structure that can't fight toxicity. You wonder why so many people have gut issues that then lead to mood issues that lead to inflammation, which also is a big factor when it comes to recovery. And this is one of the areas where we work with pro athletes. I know you said 200,000 years ago, that's where it originally started, but what percentage, like, is it 50-50, 50% of genes come from mom, 50% of genes come from dad? And then what value is there in knowing maybe that ancestral line, like at least to help understand process any of this information? So yeah, it's how you, you get two copies of each gene. You assume you get two copies. Some of them, like the one we mentioned, sometimes you don't, but the majority of your genome, you get a copy from mom or dad. And then based on what version you got from mom or dad, it equals the version you have. If you got one good copy, one bad copy, you now have a medium copy, right? That's, that's kind of the way it works. So you don't need to know about your ancestry in order to know what you do well. It's in your genes already. But what if you don't have your genetic test, it does help to know that my ancestors lived in the Mediterranean for the last thousand years, which means that here's the food they ate. Here's the level of sunlight they got. You wonder why so many people in cities like New York and Boston and Toronto, where I am, get seasonal mood disorder. Why the winter blues and the, the, the um, holiday season blues don't happen in sunny places. Because it's not the holidays. As, that's that. Yes, there's some level of social pressure that causes that. But the majority of it is if you came from an ancestry where they were in the sun all day and all of a sudden you're in a winter and you're not getting enough vitamin D, you have 20,000 something genes in your body, 2,000 require vitamin D to function. So 10% of all the functions happening in your body require this one thing. And if you're in a New York winter with no sunlight for two months and you're working indoors and taking the subway home, not even seeing the outdoors, yeah, no wonder you have a seasonal mood disorder because your neurochemicals and everything stops firing because that lock and key, that vitamin D that makes things work isn't there. Right, so that, that's the thing that's useful to look back. What did my ancestors do? Which is probably what I'm still wired to be doing. Gotcha, makes, makes, makes sense. Um, you mentioned that, you know, there's very few, I think you said a small percentage of doctors that do any type of genome testing. What's been the, the feedback response, if any pushback to you guys from doctors, from the medical field? Cause I mean, it's obviously you guys are taking a completely different radical approach to health, to, to setting up life. So yeah. What if any, what's been the response from, yeah, the it's field? been interesting. So, um, we've gone both routes. So we primarily work with functional medicine doctors. So this is a place okay. where, Somebody who has problems that their doctors can't fix it. They're like, I'm willing to pay money. Can someone help me? And they end up finding a fun functional medicine practitioner who deals with the root cause. Functional medicine is about why are you sick? Not what illness do you have? Let's figure out the root, root, root cause, right? So we've, we've started working there and obviously, you know, arms open. Everyone loves what we do and say we love to incorporate your testing. It helps guide whatever recommendations they have. Then there's a more allopathic medical primary doctor, which is symptom masking. That's what their business is. And there's a ton of resistance because we don't fit their toolkit. And so it's, it's funny because I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a clinician. And I go speak at all these medical events regularly to teach these guys. I'm going this weekend to Chicago to speak to 200 doctors about the brain, about mental health. And I'm going to go on stage and they're going to find out I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I've never published a paper. They go, why is this guy talking to us? But when we start explaining to them what we've learned, they realize that they've been doing everything wrong. I shouldn't say everything, but they've been doing a lot of things wrong, right? So um, that's where it starts with these guys. Is It usually it takes time to break down the wall. But once we have, they're like, I can't believe that this information is out there and I didn't know how I could have helped this person, what I would have done with this person. I remember speaking at this female hormone event once 
uh, talking about breast cancer and explaining the why behind breast cancer and how if I have a five-year-old girl's DNA, I can test and explain and prevent because you can see it coming in the future and you know exactly why. They were crying. These doctors in the room were literally crying because they realized what they were doing and how late in the stage, like in the game that was and what they could have done if they, but again, no fault of theirs. It's not in their toolkit, right? They're not armed with this information. So our job is breaking through to teach them. Yeah, it seems like the most logical thing here would be to literally like have you guys in hospitals. I mean, I don't know if at birth you're able to genetically test at that early on, but it seems like that would make the most sense is here's a child, the operating manual, and here's what you need to do with that that operating manual. I mean, have you guys so, explored like getting this into hospitals? Do you work with pediatricians or or We or work anything? with, uh, yeah, so that's funny you say that. I'm going to give you an example with my own kid. So... <laughs> We, first of all, yes, we do work with youth, mostly in the autism space. It's really misunderstood. And this is why they call it a spectrum, because it's hard to even on what it is. There's so many different things that are called autism. It's behavioral development issues is really what it is. This child is not developing the way a quote unquote normal child does. What's normal, right? So, uh, so we do a lot of work there. But in that, my belief is if I could tell you that I could give you an instruction manual for your kid, wouldn't you want that? Like, wouldn't you want to know exactly what career they're wired for? What sport they should be playing? Are they going to get a concussion when they play football? You know, all these considerations, we're, we're making choices every day, watching some YouTube video or listening to some, you know, parenting specialist talk about something that worked for them, which maybe might work. But the variability of our genome, it's, you know, it, it potentially more likely won't work because of who we are. So, and if I give you an example, you know, our middle kid uh, is kind of a drama queen when it comes to homework, right? So he's young, seven years old, but like kicking, screaming, yelling. Uh, so you take that as like, you know, discipline issue, mood issue. Uh, this kid's not motivated. He doesn't care. That's the usual areas you would go. Of course, I have his genes. So I looked at, forget about what I see. Let me just see what the red flags are. What is it? What is his genetics not doing well? And the thing that popped out as a glaring red flag is that when it comes to the metabolization of starches, he has the worst possible uh, pathway. So the ability to convert rice, bread, pasta, sugar into glucose and use it as fuel. His insulin response is also the worst possible. So now the counter effect of my glucose is dysregulated. Now my insulin is dysregulated. What time was homework? It was after dinner. So you have this kid who's in a coma who literally brain can't function because of the food he just ate, which wasn't even aligned to the way he's meant to metabolize, right? Trying to, he can't think and you wonder why, you know, so that, that was one of it. The other end of it was mood and behavior. So serotonin uh, is a, it, serotonin is known most commonly as a mood regulator, right? It's often spoke of in depression, sometimes in addiction, but really it's known as a mood regulator. How are you responding to the environment around you? What it actually is done at a technical level, it's prioritizing stimulus. So the reason why it determines your mood is it determines how to what level are you perceiving that thing and to what level are you reacting to that thing, whatever the thing is. He has the worst possible serotonin pathway, which means when he's sitting there trying to focus, every little sound and noise and smell and you know, TV or person in another room, it all gets to him, right? Please stop talking. Please, I can't watch a TV. Like, you know, every little possible stimulus, his brain cannot. So some of us get to work and everything starts to tune out. You can't even hear the people next to you anymore, right? That's how you're supposed to be able to focus and work and give your attention. If your serotonin is dysregulated, you can't do that. It's, it's very, very difficult for your brain to prioritize which stimulus is the one you're actually trying to focus on. So it does two things. It makes you highly distractible, which makes it very difficult to do homework if you're not in the right environment. It makes you highly irritable, right? When, whenever that thing happens, like someone poked you, someone took something, someone you know gave you too much, it's just very irritating. And the reaction is gonna be a little bit more than you would have got for the other people around you. And you start to look like a drama queen, which is what he looked like, right? But the other thing it does, it gives you an extremely high attention to detail. When, you're, when you actually get in and start doing the work, every T that needs to be crossed, every I that needs to be dotted, 
you know, when you're, when you actually enjoy something and you're going about it, the level to which you can remember the information, you know, you talk to some guys about sports and they know every single batting average, every player's number on their back, you know, that type of level of detail. So it comes back to what I said earlier, context. When you start to understand the way the neurochemicals of your brain work, you know what you should actually be doing. Where should you be? How should you be working? Where will you thrive? Where will you fail? And to your point, knowing this for a child, you can literally map out the optimal life for them. Here's exactly the choices you should make for mood, for health, for energy, for sports, for career. Should you be an accountant? Yes or no? Are you, can you be a doctor? Can you see blood and walk away? Or is it going to cause trauma to you? Literally, genetically, we can determine that. Right? We've worked with the U.S. military on their black ops special forces. Who should actually be frontline deployed that won't come back with PTSD? You know, who can actually not hesitate and pull the trigger? We've literally done that work with the military. So to that degree, uh, imagine knowing this about your child, which is why I've done it for my own kids. Yeah. Well, traditionally, maybe not that last bit of hyper-focus on every specific detail, but prior to you sharing that bit, it's like that kid traditionally would be diagnosed with ADD or ADHD, attention hyper you know, d- disorder. And now they're going to give them a cascade of drugs, which is going to create a whole nother, you know, cascade of, of neurochemicals in his brain. And it's just going to probably over-regulate, over-stimulate all these other things. And it's like, how many young boys and young girls these days are that same exact example or similar that have just been misdiagnosed, mistreated. And now you're causing deeper problems because you're band-aid, band-aid, band-aid. And essentially this kid's going to get to high school and he's just going to blow up or, or, or whatever. Yeah. And that thing, the worst part about that is that thing that we're trying to mask with pills and a, and a, and a name ADHD is actually their superpower. That's actually the thing that if they understood what they had and used it in the right context is the reason they would do better than anyone else. I love that. And it brings to something that you said earlier. And I'm, I, I, I want to circle back and spend a little bit of time here if we can, because I made a comment on a podcast recently, uh, probably about six, seven episodes ago. And this is based upon the work that I've done. This is based on my own life experience that I believe addicts, like anybody that's struggling with a compulsion, with pornography, drugs, sex, whatever it is, like if there's a behavior that's got you wrapped up, you are in fact a high performer in my eyes. You just haven't yet directed it in the right channel. And you made that comment about depression, anxiety, the same gene that is causing that oftentimes causes it entrepreneurship. So talk about that if you can. I'd like to spend some time there. Yeah, so that that for me was one of the biggest aha moments in going from a consumer of genetic testing to a purveyor and like, this is my legacy. I got to work on this because it solved my problems. So what did I learn? What is the root of addiction is dopamine pleasure, right? So how we all deal with that is different. The genetics of it are very clear. And the last piece then becomes context. So let's use me as an example. When it comes to dopamine, there's three phases. There's the anticipation. I I know this is coming. I smell the tasty pizza and I know I'm going to get it and I start to feel pleasure. Then there's the moment I bite into it like, oh, that Eureka, like, wow, this is so good. And then there's a clearance. My brain needs to get back to normal and go about my day. That's kind of the three phases of pleasure and most chemical experiences of the brain. They have these sort of three phases. The way we do that genetically, there's a gene called DRD2, which I mentioned earlier, which determines the density of your receptors in your brain. To what degree do I anticipate and feel? Then there's a gene called MAO, which breaks the dopamine down, right? Starts to metabolize it. Then there's a gene called COMP, which is like the broom that comes and sweeps it away, right? So I have the lowest possible density of receptors in my brain, and I have the fastest MAO and the fastest COMP, which means I feel it way down here. I hardly feel it, and it's kind of done before it even started. So what's the outcome for me? If I do nothing, it's depression because I just don't get to feel what other people feel. If I do something, it's probably addiction because I'm going to find something that gives me pleasure, but it's never enough. So I'm going to want more and more and more. Addiction is very different than binging. I'm going to talk about that in a second. So addiction is like I need more and more. I structure my day around it and it becomes a routine. And eventually I burn out and kill myself in this thing. Or achievement. Why? Because dopamine not only powers pleasure, it also powers reward. That feeling of accomplishment and reward. I did something good at work. That feeling that you get, that high, that's dopamine also. What you need is satisfaction. 
and it can come from pleasure or reward. If you're not getting reward, you're probably going to lean on pleasure. It's a lot easier. So the, the context then becomes the outcome. For me, I've experienced all three. You know, I've experienced depression growing up in poverty and not having a life that was enjoyable and seeing my friends and peers. You know, I've experienced addiction and gone down the pleasure route and like many people in my family have. But now knowing this, I'm going down the achievement route. Even when it comes to things that give me pleasure, like food, I've learned now how to treat them like reward, right? I've, re I've replaced the food that I enjoy, which would have used to be about pleasure, the challenge now of eating the right amount, of not having too much oil or whatever the thing is I'm thinking about in that current meal. Going this weekend, I was stuck in a restaurant eating fish and chips because there was no other option for me, peeling the crust off to make sure I didn't eat all that extra crap. That sense of reward replaced the sense of pleasure. You just need satisfaction and you can get it from either source, right? So now the context and understanding of how you, how you behave allows you to go from addict to, achieve, to achievement or entrepreneur or whatever you want to call this bucket. Then there's a flip opposite. What if I have the maximum density of dopamine receptors and a very slow clearance? Then all of a sudden, it's very easy for me to experience pleasure and reward. I'm always satisfied. So it would sound like that person would never is like kind of um, has the antidote to addiction, right? Because why would they suffer from addiction? Why? Because when you have the slow clearance and you're experiencing things at an elevated level, it's hard to let them go. An addict can do their thing and they can walk away once they've done their thing. They can maybe move on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. The binger, once they feel that feeling, they get lost. Six, seven, eight hours. It's a difference between I have to watch Netflix on time every single day or I get frustrated, or when I watch Netflix, I watch eight episodes till four in the morning. Both are driven by pleasure and reward, very different sort of outcomes. So for this person, they often have the destruction and problems that come from addiction, but they don't get called an addict. But, you know, and it's not like I need to drink. I need to drink a very particular whiskey. That's the one that I like. And when I find that one, I'm going to drink the whole bottle because they get stuck in that pleasure. They're very picky about their pleasure, right? Same thing with their entrepreneurialism. They're not the person that should be the entrepreneur and the, you know, take shifting gears and wearing multiple hats. They should be the subject matter expert, the, the author, the scientist that can binge and dive deep and go lock themselves in the lab for eight hours and come back with this giant stack of paper like this. Like, look what I did. Right. So you, you start to understand who you are and all of a sudden the same thing that's a crutch equals your superpower. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I'm just I'm just thinking across like I've been in the entrepreneurship space now for I've been running businesses, starting companies for 10 years, really deep in the events, seminars, online kind of marketing space for a long time. I'm just thinking about all the guys that I know, like, oh, that's why those two guys are partners. You have the subject matter expert, like the one that knows the information. Then you got the, you got the guy behind it. That's driving, you know, driving the bus. That's pulling all, all the levers. This is God, this is, this is registering so, so much. And, and there's so much more to it. Like I'm just picking on a couple of layers when it comes to addiction and pleasure. There's so much more we can talk about. And this is why when you're dealing with like an addiction clinic or, you know, um, there's multiple treatments for multiple different people. How do you know what you need? So it could be emotional. There's, there's a gene called ADR2B that determines how well you deal with negative stimulus and trauma. And if you don't deal with that well, your family could have an experience, a car crash, three out of four people, no problem. That fourth person, it's the reason they get into addiction. But they're not addicted because of the dopamine. They're addicted because of the escape. Because they can't live on that street anymore. Every time they see that intersection, they feel the pain, right? So they need the escape. So that person needs a very different solution. What they need to realize is that they are an emotionally brilliant person. They can access emotion and recall emotion in a way other people can't. When they think about the problem, they can literally remember the feeling. They hold the grudge, right? They literally can bring back the feeling viscerally, like it just happened. And that's what PTSD and trauma is. But they need to use that to their advantage, and be the emotional leader, be the, you know, uh, the guy, the, the, the rock that everyone leans on because you're kind of wise about your decisions. You don't make the same mistake twice. But put that in the wrong context, it's going to lead to problems because it's going to be a burden of pain. And, and there's so many of these examples I can get into, but 
All I'm saying is that you can personalize. You can know your why, right? It's, it's, the word addiction is far too general. Mm -hmm. No, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. Going back to where our genes come from, you know, the 50-50, like mom, dad, you get one of each. You know, if it's good, bad, then it kind of meets here in the middle. If it's good, good, good. You have good. If it's bad, bad. How does that explain differences between siblings? Yeah. So you have most genes have three potential outcomes. So, um, cause you get, um, there's sort of a good version and a bad version. And keep in mind when we're looking at a gene, it's not that the gene has a version. It's some location on the gene. A gene is thousands of letters long, by the way, just to get to some basic science, thousands of letters long. That's the length of this code. Sometimes somewhere along that code, there's what we have, what's called a SNP, meaning it was supposed to be a T, but instead it's a C. And now the instruction is a little broken. So that's what this, the research of genetic sequencing was. Like we got to first figure out how do you spell this gene? Then we got to figure out where do we see in some genes a broken spelling that causes it to function different. So one parent might give you the gene that doesn't have the broken spelling and the other one does have the broken spelling. You get two copies. So you could either have two good spellings, two bad spellings, or one good, one bad. So in that variability, brother and sister could have two good, two bad, one good, one bad, right? So it depends on what, what came from your parents, how much gap there was, and you might get other stuff. Now, that's step one. What is my genetics? And yes, siblings can be different because you get this from mom, this from dad. It depends which one you got. Second thing is your context is different. One sibling stayed on the farm with mom and dad and lived a healthy life and worked with the animals and is emotionally sound and is connected to their church, et cetera, et cetera. The other one moved to New York and goes running around the block, breathing in pollution every day and sleeps four hours a day. With that same genetic code, they're doing two entirely different things. So your outcome is going to be different. That's why understanding, first of all, who am I genetically? Here's what I'm wired for. Now, here's the choices that are going to make me thrive. Here's the choices that are going to make me crash and burn. Right. And it's got to be that simple so that people can actually take action on it. And that, that's where you get that difference from. Got it. No, no, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's that, that nature versus nurture argument, right? And it really seems like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not one or the or. It's how do these two work in congruency with each other? Yeah, for sure. I've heard you talk about, I mean, you've been, you've been doing this so long. You've seen so many tests. You've reviewed so much information. So much data has been analyzed by you that you're at the point now where you can ask people certain questions and you can get yeah. some understanding of their, of their DNA and, and what their genes are. Can you kind of walk us through that here well, a little bit? We, so we're the only company in the world that did these clinical reviews. So typically, what does a genetic company do? You're, you're, you're researching genes. So you don't meet the patient. You get the genetic sample in the mail, you put it in a machine, you sequence it, you look at some research and, you know, and then they, they report back. The, the, there, there was a gap between the clinic and the testing, and that's why it wasn't actionable. So we, we did that. We built the middle, which is let's be a clinic. The 7,000 people that I was talking about that we researched, we sat with each one of them for hours and hours and hours to understand what we call the phenotype. Your genes are your, here's your list of genes. That's your genotype. What does that equal? That's your phenotype. Now, when I know every single time I see a male balding and I can then ask how old he is, I can start to predict your risk of prostate enlargement, prostate cancer, which no doctor will agree with because the medical literature doesn't say that balding causes cancer. Remember cause, they're just looking at primary, this equals that. What's actually going on is some men, when they produce testosterone, convert it into what's called DHT which is sort of the manly man version of testosterone that gives you ripped, strident muscles and you have no fat on your abs, but it's toxic. And so if you make too much of it, you all of a sudden can cause death to hair follicles on your head and in enlargement and inflammation of the prostate. So we know those two things are related. So I can, by looking at your head, tell you your prostate health risk. I can, by looking at simply just by talking to you now, you know, and looking at the way your body's been moving and the way your eyes been moving, I can start to predict things about your neurochemicals. How fast are you clearing them? You know, how, what, what level of attention do I have from you? These types of things can start to point to your neurochemicals of your brain. Looking at your body type, I can understand how well you produce progesterone, uh, sorry, and then testosterone and then estrogens. You know, are you a more estrogen dominant male? This uh, false belief that size and strength comes from testosterone actually comes from estrogen. 
when you see the guy deadlifting five plates in the gym, that's estrogen, that mass and strength, but you can't see his, you know, definition, but he's big and strong. That's estrogen, which is also why he has a nice head of hair and shiny skin. Right. So we can start to predict things. We can also predict things like sleep. If I ask you questions about how you perceive certain scenarios. Okay. Going back to my son, here's a good example. Highly irritable, highly distractible. I know that means his serotonin pathway is off. I now know that means he doesn't sleep well at night. And I also know it doesn't mean that he can't fall asleep. It means that he can't stay asleep. Why? Because, and there's three different sleep problems. Can't fall asleep, can't stay asleep, sleep through the night and wake up feeling not rested, down to getting good quality sleep. So in his case, melatonin is that hormone or supplement that puts you to sleep. People already know that. Your brain starts to bind it and use what you made during the day and that knocks you out, puts you to sleep. In the second half, your body knows at some point you're supposed to actually get up. You're done. And serotonin is the neurochemical that is meant to trigger that. So the sunlight is supposed to come through the window, go through your eyelid, and this orange glow is meant to trigger serotonin binding and utilization, which is now like I'm not, uh, not, I'm not, not asleep anymore. I'm actually waking up. Right. So if your brain can't prioritize stimulus because your serotonin receptors are completely off, then any stimulus in that second half of your brain's confused. And a lot of people resonate with this where that second half, it's like I'm in deep dreaming state and then I'm awake and I'm dreaming and then I got to go to the washroom and I'm asleep again. I got to wake that up and down, very quick up and down because temperatures off. Hubby's foot touched me. Hubby pulled on the blanket. There's a weird smell. You know, the vent, the air conditioning turns on and off and it makes a different noise every time it does that. Any one of those stimulus is, remember your brain at that time is waiting for a stimulus to tell it to wake up and bind serotonin and it's supposed to be sunlight. And if you can't prioritize, your brain's not waiting, waiting for the right stimulus. And that's why these people can't sleep in the second half of their life, night. So glad I'm not you because if I had all that information that you had and I was able to tell all those things about an individual, I don't know if I would ever get anything done. I would just keep walking around talking to people, trying to figure out what their genes are. <laughs> just based off a series of questions that, 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 that I could ask them. Brother, this has been incredible. I mean, I don't know if I've taken two pages of notes on a hour-long podcast in a very, very long time. So I'm so appreciative for you. What's been oh, something that is like just just surprised the, the, the hell out of you, whether it's a result, an outcome, something you've learned about it, just like that kind of like, I never thought that this was going to come out of me getting into this work. Oh, wow. Yeah. So let me think of something. Um, yeah. One thing that really surprised me, and it opened the door to a lot of other surprises, um, Insulin, when I tell you about insulin, what, what do you think insulin is about? Uh, sugar, carbs, um, right? diabetes. Exactly. Right. This is the first thing that everyone believes it's about, which is absolutely true, by the way. Insulin is the hormone that's supposed to regulate your glucose levels, keep you healthy, prevent inflammation. If you don't do well there, it's a fast track to diabetes and other cardiovascular type problems. What we learned is that brown people like me, South Asian, Indian, Pakistani, Afghani, uh, Bangladeshi have an insulin response from saturated fat. But the research is all done on Western European white males. <laughs> so when I go to the doctor in Toronto, I'm getting a prescription based on you walking in, right? <laughs> so so the re it's, it's beyond, even just the difference between men and women. The research is all on Western European white males. Even for a woman, it's not the same answer. But for me... Brown guy walking to the clinic being told that, you know, uh, go ahead and eat fats, saturated fats. Well, it's going to cause me. And you wonder why there's so much heart disease and diabetes, even though you're doing everything right as a South Asian, because there's a whole other genetic nuance. There, there's a gene uh, now going down that route about where the research comes from. And globally, people are different. There's a gene that determines how well you deal with sort of blood pressure uh, flow and dilation the same exact gene, which is the best version for Western European white males, is the worst version for Asians, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, because of something we call epistasis. So the gene, it's true. This version of this gene is the good version. That's true. There's other things going on in the genetics of the Asian that causes what we call epistasis, meaning another gene causes that gene to function different. We don't yet know what gene that's that research still needs to be done, 
but only Asians have that version of that gene expression. And so this is where if you're going to personalize, you have to truly personalize, understand who you are. Um, and the choices that were being made are good guidance in general, but it's got to be right for you because the same exact thing that is good for someone else can hurt you. How many vegans have we had to tell that the reason you're sick is because you're a vegan? There's some people with, by the way, it's absolutely amazing for them. There's some people, very few, that being a vegan is going to add 10 years to their life. For the most part, it's going to deduct 10 years for your life. Right? I just heard all the vegan tears hit, hit, hit the floor. Um, but it comes, <laughs> back to, it comes back to what I said at the beginning, right? You know, in order to transcend your program, you must fully understand it. And like, you got to know the operating manual and then you got to know what to do with it. Uh, which is, I'm so glad that you guys are out there. I'm so glad we got connected at, at, at the vault. Um, what's your relationship with Pat? Are you guys, are you guys working with Pat? Are you doing any work with them in the team? Yeah, over there? Pat himself hadn't really done much for his health. Like he's healthy, eats well, all that stuff, but this level of personalization. So we put him through our full transform program, which is, so there's a testing, which is what we've been talking about. But we also have programs that people want, which is like, okay, you have my DNA. Now I want you to kind of like genetically renovate me and make sure I'm doing everything properly. So he went through our executive program uh, where we truly went through every single thing and changed everything about his life, him and his wife, both. And he was so blown away that he said, I don't have sponsors at my event, but I want you guys to be there. I don't know if you noticed, but there was only were, two. Boys, yeah, there was right? you and one other one. There was one other one. The other one, I think, is some company that he's one well, was investing in. Yeah, it was, his, it was his company. I think they had Manek there, and I think he had the Valuetainment Consulting one that was yeah. right next to your booth. Yeah. Yeah, and he said, I don't want booths. I don't want distractions. People need to be focused on me when you're in the, yeah. the vault. You're not even allowed to leave the room, right? <laughs> right? So he, he literally, he locks the door. He can't get out. So he believes in what we're doing so much that he actually asked us to come there. And then he plugged us on the podcast and stuff. We're going to be doing a lot more work with him. Really, the work we want to do with him is to say, he's got a great platform. We need to talk about what healthcare, not this sick care system that's out there, but the true healthcare model that's possible is. So we're going to be working with him on that. Yeah, it's incredible. And I'm, I'm so excited to, to hear that because big fan, I think he's building a massive media empire out there. And the fact that he's, he's bought into you guys, this is going to get your company, the DNA, everything out there. So absolutely incredible. Well, tell people where they can connect with you if they want to get a test, if they want to learn more about you, the company, and and, and whatnot. We'll bring today's uh, conversation to a close with our last question. Um, first of all, I mean, uh, thank everybody for listening. So, you know, go to the website, but I want to make sure that you're getting like a discount for going through this show. So um, let's just make it SH50. So if you go to the website, uh, you put in promo code, SH50 or go to the DNA company.com forward slash SH50. Uh, I'll get that done, you know, right after I jump off of here, I'll ask our team to put that up there uh, and you'll get that promo off the test. So don't go by retail, use that. Um, and if anyone wants to dive deeper into any of the programs, you know what, even just email me directly. I literally, I'm available. Email me. If I can't answer the question, I'll get the right person on our team to do so. Uh, it's my first name. So Kashif, at the DNA company.com. Don't be shy. Feel free to, if you feel, uh, feel free to sorry to email me uh, directly. I'll help you with whatever it is, but yeah. So, uh, SH 50, the DNA company.com forward slash SH 50, email me directly. If you want to learn more about the uh, testing on its own, or even if you just have questions, the last thing I would say is, um, if you just want to learn, uh, we built a podcast for our internal clients so we don't promote it. It's not, pushed in any way whatsoever. It's literally just a resource library for our clients. Uh, but if you want to just learn, go there. It's called Unpilled. So, you know, literally the Unpilled podcast, um, wherever you get your podcast from. And it's not something that is out there commercially. It's literally just a resource library for our internal customers so they can get more value out of their test. Go learn. It'll, it'll blow you away. Love that. No, we have a very inquisitive audience. They love to, you know, they love to consume data. They love getting the right information for the right questions that need to be asked. So, so glad to have you here guys. We'll get all that plugged down in the show notes. So the DNA company.com slash HH 50 use promo code SH 50 to save 50 bucks. We'll also have Kashif's uh, email down there in the description box and show notes 
as well. So Kashif, as we bring today's uh, conversation to a close, uh, we'd like to ask the same question on every episode. Obviously, the title of the show is The Superman Life. You know, this has been a product and really an exploration of my own journey over the last three and a half, four years now. Uh, but I believe living a superman life is understanding and believing that you are here for a purpose, but then also taking very intentional and aggressive action on a daily basis to bring that purpose to the world for good for others. So as we bring today's conversation to a close, how would you define living a superhuman life? Wow. <laughs> so superhuman to me is understanding this God-given gift we have is so much more than we think. And maximum potential. Potential is kind of a cliche word, but if you understand truly what potential is, you know, the difference between living 60 years with the last five years in the hospital or living to 110, riding your bike at 109, you know, that's truly a choice. If you weren't born ill with a genetic condition, the rest is a choice. Chronic disease and to what degree do you age is truly, truly a choice. And it's the choice is so much more important today than ever before because of all the chemical and environmental type threats that we were talking about. So superhuman life isn't a dream. It is something that is out there for you to get. You just have to start doing things that are aligned to what your body requires. And it's there for you. I've seen too many people, including myself, who when we test their biological age, it's the delta value difference from day one to when, they, when they're done the program is like 10 to 15 years. Right. So it's, it's a choice for you to make. Just start making the right choice. Love that so much. 151 episodes. That is a completely different answer than anything that we've gotten. So, brother, I appreciate just so much for just sharing your wealth of knowledge. I mean, we probably got maybe 1% of what's inside of that bald head of yours out of you today. So I appreciate you so much. I'm probably going to have to get you back on for a round two. But guys, if you got value out of today's conversation, you can help us. Obviously, we've had some tremendous growth. We just broke into the top 100 on Apple, and it's all because of you guys out there. So we want to thank you first and foremost. But if you want to see this uh, movement continue to grow, you can help us in one of two ways. First, I'll leave it a five-star rating right there on Apple or whatever platform you are listening to. But more importantly, if you have somebody in your life that needs today's conversation, maybe they have some struggles, maybe they've been going through some sickness and illness, and they're just putting Band-Aids on the bigger problem, do us a favor, but do them a blessing by sharing today's conversation with them. But for Kashif Khan of the DNA Company, Frank Rich, host of The Superman Life, we love you guys, and we'll see you next week.